Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Good morning. My name is Kevin Scallion. I'm your host today. I serve as Executive Vice President here at NetSmart, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Keith Boucher, who is our Human Services Community Strategist. Keith has worked in healthcare IT for more than 25 years. He has a passion for working with private and public sector human services organizations to develop their organizational roadmaps and identify the funding opportunities that enable these organizations to better serve their consumers and communities. Today's topic is identifying, preparing for, and applying for human services funding opportunities. To learn how to identify grant opportunities that uh, align to your organizational goals, best practices for building your grant narrative, and ways you can prepare for funding opportunities now, even before they're announced. So with that as our introduction, Keith, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start off with, and I've you know run technology companies for 30 or 40 years, and I think of growth in different ways. There's probably three or four ways you can grow your business. You can expand your existing lines of business. You can create new lines of business. You can expand geographically to add uh, new services. Um, you know, tying all this to strategy and goals. How do you see look going after different funding opportunities for human services providers? Uh, how does that align with all of that? Sure. Uh, and, and I think you brought up a, a number of great points that you certainly need to look at when you are looking at which grants best fit you as an organization. New lines of business, are you going to be able to flex in a certain direction that might be something that you're not doing now, geographic? Uh, again, are we looking to expand maybe into another state or another line of business? Some of the other things are, does the grant align with your organization's strategy? And what I mean by that is, do the grant objectives align with what you do now? And it's okay if you're looking to expand in another direction, maybe take on some risk, but you really need to understand what's being asked, asked for in the grant and can you flex in that direction? Another thing I always take a look at and talk to folks about is sustainability. Some of these grants are very are uh, time sensitive. It might be a grant for a year or two. What's going to happen after that grant goes away? Is there a sustainability model in place? Or are you really in a position where you, you might stand up a program for a, a, a period of time, a year or two, and then what's gonna happen to that program after the grant funds expire? Another thing I look at, and Kevin talked about his experience, he's coming at it from the top down. I'm, Sometimes I'm looking at it from the bottom up. Another consideration is we, we work with a lot of different uh, size organizations. Some of these organizations have staff that are dedicated to the grant process, but some, it might just be a part of someone's job. And so it's important to look at how big is the lift to apply? And do you have the bandwidth to complete the application process in a manner which has a reasonable chance of success. Uh, some of these, uh, I'll call out probably a few times uh, during this podcast, CCBHC grant. There's a lot of upfront work that has to get done and to get to the application uh, submission process. You don't want to do all that work if you can't devote the time to have a really quality submission and again, a reasonable chance for success. So 
yeah, new lines of business, um, geographic, and also things like sustainability and uh, bandwidth of uh, staff. And Keith, when you talk about work that has to be done beforehand, what, what type of work are you talking about that has to be done beforehand using your CCBHC example? Sure. And, you know, it's not so much has to be done, but should be done. That question I can really parse two ways. One is before the grant even comes out and is available to respond to, there are certain things that you can do as an organization. If you know it's going to come out and you know you're, you're going to um, apply. And then there's things you have to do, obviously, once the grant comes out. In regards to CCBHC, that's a great example. And it lends itself to some of the other SAMHSA grants as well. When you look at the CMHC, the Community Mental Health Center grant, it's very similar to the CCBHC. And so some of the things I'll say uh, apply to both and probably apply to more SAMHSA grants as well. But some of the things you can look at if you know you're going to apply to the next CCBHC or the next CMHC is, are there uh, partners that I'm going to work with in order to meet the requirements of the grant? For instance, CCBHC, you need to provide 24-hour crisis uh, care. You need to uh, provide medication-assisted treatment, a MAP program. If you don't have those things and you're going to partner with an organization that does it, now is the time to start looking at those partnerships, start talking with community partners, uh, putting together MOUs, delineating who's going to do which uh, services and what parts, how is information going to flow back and forth. So those are a, a few of the things. There's other things that I always suggest folks do, and that is, especially for CCBHC and CMHC, is start gathering uh, things like letters of recommendation and partnership and support from other community resources. I've seen in the case of CCBHC, uh, things like letters of support from the local union that perhaps works in, in your organization, uh, letters from legislators, letters from health plans and other payer sources that say, we support this organization in their effort to do act, go after X grant. Those are some of the pre-work things that I would look at. And, and that's before the grant ever comes out. Now, once the grant comes out, uh, there's a time limit to go and, get, and gather all these things and to apply for. When you look at certain grants, like the FCC grants that came out over the past two years for telehealth as part of uh, different um, funding acts that, acts that came out, there were things that you could do ahead of time that are required, such as uh, setting up certain things in the FCC website, in the USDA website, to get you pre-registered to get the grants as they come out. And, you know, you talked about those things. One of the things that I've seen uh, people, mistakes people make when they're applying for things is they don't think about it in terms of who the person is who's reviewing it. What I call the what's in it for, what's in it for me type of thing. So how about things like use cases and ROIs that your organization has to deliver to whoever the, the grant source is? You know, how about accruing some of those things beforehand? Oh, absolutely. and. Um, What's really helpful, and I'll go back to some of the SAMHSA grants, CCBHC, uh, CMHC, but CCBHC in particular, those don't really change over time. So when the funding opportunity announcement, the FOA comes out, it is either 
identical to last year's or very close to it. So when I talk to clients and, and folks that are looking to apply to say the CCBHC grant, when it comes out, I say, hey, you don't have to wait for that to come out. Go grab the, the FOA from last year. It's not going to change that much. Start there to look at the requirements. And then um, we go through, and I do this quite often, we go through with clients and we look at the past winning examples, abstracts. Every winning abstract of a CCBHC for SAMHSA is out there on the SAMHSA website. And we look at trends and keywords that uh, all of these winning abstracts have in common. And we then provide that information to our clients and our prospects to say, hey, here's uh, uh, you know nomenclature that won CCBHC or CMHC grants before. Let's model some of what we do after these things. The other thing is I really suggest to pay attention to what, you know, the word, I know it sounds obvious, but the words that are uh, provided to you within the grant application. And when SAMHSA or someone says, uh, you should do this, then I say, please do that. When it says, uh, we recommend that you use this budget layout in Appendix X, now is not the time to say, well, I'm going to go off script and I think my budget is better. No, make it easy for the grantor to provide you the grant by making it as easy as possible for them to read your application and use words that they use in, in their description back at them. We're going to improve. We're going to um, you know, close the gap, whatever those words are, and they're pretty well laid out. Those are the, some of the things that we look at. Now, most of these grants come with, a, or the uh, FOAs come with scoring criteria for how they're going to evaluate the bid. One thing we've found to be helpful in our proposals is you take some, you take a group of people who weren't on the proposal team, give them the scoring sheet and have them read the, the response and score it to see how you're doing. Um, do you ever see that? And how important is it to look at those scoring criteria? Yeah, I, I think that gives you great insight into uh, where to spend your time when you're preparing the grant, right? So really, um, take a look at, those, at the scoring, you know, put your arrows, uh, put the wood behind the arrows that make the most sense. You do have a limited amount of time. Uh, so really, you're going to be under in, in crunch mode. And the scoring criteria will give you a good idea of what weight it has. The other thing that you want to do is... A lot of these grants, they're providing the funds to meet a certain need or needs. And it's really imperative that you, there are a few things. One is that you know your population and your catchment area. I can't make this point strongly enough. Uh, these organizations, I'll throw out SAMHSA again, but HRSA and, and USDA, they wanna know that you know the population that you serve the gaps, the disparity gaps, the uh, inequality of, of some of the care, um, and that you have a vision on how the grant funds are going to close that. So you really want to be specific to these grant funds. You lay out in your abstract the gaps in care. A lot of these gaps in care uh, and the statistics are available. And again, we provide this information to a lot of our clients on sites like census.gov. 
but almost every community has a community health uh, needs assessment. And those are really helpful to provide you the gaps uh, and the statistics you need to put into the application, but then describing how the funds that are gonna be made available are going to help you close that gap and being very specific. So you know, these grant funds will enable us to add 10 staff, the type of staff will enable us to provide care to this many more people than we currently do, will allow us to close this disparity, this percentage in year one, year two, really be specific on as to what are the gaps and how these funds are going to close them. Again, some of the um, other things that can really help you are the needs assessment and uh, census.gov is two examples. And don't forget, you know, since most people listening are, are using our EHRs, you know, we have KPI dashboards where you can go in and query and say, show me all of the adolescents less than 18 who have first episode psychosis with co-occurring substance use problem and show and you can sort that by race or what have you to come up with statistics to show what you've done to improve some of those deliveries, which is always a positive in terms of showing your historical data. Yeah, you know, data is key. Uh, data is key beforehand when you're applying, but then after applying all of these grants, at least all the ones that we deal with from federal or state re, uh, resources, they have requirements about reporting. And some of them, you are getting the funds to help you implement these tools, like Kevin just mentioned, and many of our clients have these tools to show um, these gaps and how you are affecting care and how you are changing outcomes. You know, a lot of the grants that are coming out now from the American Recovery Program, Cures Act, Infrastructure Program, are, you know, had their genesis in the pandemic era. Um, so how, how would an organization think about, you know, if I'm responding to something that's being driven by COVID, how should I respond differently? Sure, and uh, again, there's a lot of public resources out there available the internet, of course, is, is the tool to use, but a lot of these uh, want to know how you've been affected by COVID and whether it's been loss of staff or uh, you've had to shut down some programs or uh, you've had to pivot to telehealth. Again, they want to know how you've been affected by COVID. A lot of these, uh, whether or not you're in a, a staffing shortage area, whether or not you're in a COVID hotspot area, and a lot of these can be found on these publicly available uh, resources through the internet. Again, we're, we're happy to help direct you to those, uh, those different resources. Any tips or tricks uh, for the grant narrative once you've got those impact numbers? Yeah, and, and again, um, I've touched on some of these, but a, a few more that might be useful and I mentioned key action words, but to include in your program description and application, you want to use the words like strengthen, develop, expand, establish, population of this. Understand the scoring process, as we said, uh, so you can understand which of your submitted content matters most to the people who are looking at your application. Look into your eligibility for pre-award expenses as well. Some of these grants will pay for some of these pre-award expenses they look back. So sometimes you've, especially with COVID, you've already spent funds and some of these grants allow you to get reimbursed for things you've already paid for looking back maybe six months or nine months. So you really want to pay attention to that. And again, 
really have a vision uh, for the impact that grant's going to have on you and, and how the funds will allow you to close a gap, change a health inequality, or open up a line of business that's been closed due to the pandemic. I will also say, and, and we all know this to be true, but there's been a, a really great influx of funds because of some of the things that Kevin mentioned, the Cures Act, American Rescue Plan. These are uh, time-limited funds that have to be spent within a certain uh, period of time. And it's really incumbent upon us and uh, states to take advantage of these dollars that are coming out right now. They're not gonna be there forever. A lot of states very surprisingly are finding themselves cash positive when a year and a half ago, it looked like dire days. And right now, a lot of folks are flush with cash. Let's put that to the best use possible through some of these grants. Yeah, and I would echo what you said about the you know showing your success, but also think about the reviewers and put put your responses in terms of what is it that they are trying to accomplish with this grant, and make sure you address those. Just not thinking inwardly of how you're going to use this money inside your organization, but really talk hard about the problems you're solving for the people who you're proposing to. Yeah. Um, and um, sorry, Kevin, just to echo, um, again, when you look at something like the CCBHC, to have years worth of winning abstracts, you can really get a flavor and a sense for what were the words and, and what were the focus areas, themes, that seem to run through these uh, winning grants. Yeah. And with all of this money flowing through different branches of the government, if you asked me 10 years ago if our clients would be proposing to the USDA or to Department of Education or Labor or uh, FCC, I would have laughed, right? So what, what should people think about now as they're putting a grant together for one of those organizations versus one of the more typical SAMHSA ones that they may have been used to? You know, as you said, it's, opportunities have opened up in places where we aren't we weren't historically seeing them samsa of course was always there the fcc though funding that they administered over the past two years directed at telehealth which again prior to the pandemic really wasn't on anyone's radar and so you know the fcc and the telehealth funding is, is an area that we weren't prepared, well, people weren't prepared to respond to in, in terms of how will the telehealth funds uh, be used. We've gotten much better at it as the pandemic's gone on. Uh, we've helped a lot of our clients respond to the FCC grant. There were, um, it wasn't necessarily easy, the steps you had to follow. I myself was on the phone a number of times with the FCC to get clarification for clients on the 420 form and how to file different things. But then there's other organizations that folks on the on the listening to the podcast might not think about, like the USDA and um, HRSA. And some of these organizations are, a lot of them have to do now with funding for, as I mentioned, the FCC with telehealth. And HRSA, which if folks don't know, is the Health Resources and Services Administration. They're often thought of as only providing grants for rural providers. And many of their grants historically did say you have to be in a rural, uh, a federal rural designated area to apply. The pandemic changed that. And 
So when you go look at some of their telehealth grants and some of their opioid response grants, that requirement to be rural is not there for a lot of those grants. So you really need to pay attention. USDA is another one. They do a lot with expansion of broadband, which is still occurring. Uh, and again, trying to close the disparity gap because not everyone out there has, especially in the more rural communities, doesn't have access to telehealth because they don't have broadband. Is writing responses for these different uh, branches of the uh, with different branches of the executive branch? Um, is it different writing different responses? I I think as you've uh, said a few times during here, it's know your audience, uh, know the different branches of government, whether you're dealing with SAMHSA or uh, USDA, the FCC, or uh, HRSA, it, it really is incumbent upon you to know what's important to that organization. It's usually spelled out in the beginning of uh, the grant application as to within the first few pages regarding what's important to the person or the organization that's responding to your grant. Now, you know, we've just been touching on state and federal grants, mostly federal, but especially in more uh, metropolitan areas, New York City is a good example. There are quite a few resources as well for private uh, grants as well. So we shouldn't disregard those and we can help you if you are not familiar with some of those resources, but Given the pandemic, I've seen in the last two years, a lot of more private grants come out as well that are not insubstantial. Uh, I've seen one of the pitfalls people make is they assume everybody knows their acronyms. So when they talk about their ACT teams or CBTs or other things, that may be you know, a piece of cake for SAMHSA, but somebody in the USDA may have no idea what that means. So explaining the type of services and in those examples, why you may need more broadband access is critical to explaining things to a lay audience who may not understand it. I think that's an important one too. Yeah, and, um, I, th and I think that goes back to don't give the reviewer any reason to deny you. Make it as easy as possible. And that's follow the directions. As Kevin said, spell out acronyms that might be second nature to you, but not to the person reading it and know, you know, know your catchment area and follow um, the forms and rec, you know, if they say we recommend, I would take that as a must. So those are some of the things you really should be concise. If you picture that reviewer has got 50 of these on his desk or her desk that she has to review, if you can say it in uh, one page versus 10, make their life easier, you're going to get a better score. Sure. So where should people focus next? Yeah, so um, I would like to say COVID has gone away or is going away, but I think we'll see another round or two of uh, funding. So I would uh, be getting prepared with some of the pre-work that we talked about, MOUs with community partners, getting some of those uh, letters of recommendation, Maybe they're not even grant specific and you just have them stored from local organization and legislators. Know the impact that COVID's had on you and continues to have on you. Know things that maybe you didn't already know, like what's, what is our rural status? Uh, what are our addiction rates in the community? Find out where your community health needs assessment is if you don't have one. 
we're certainly more than glad to help you out in finding some of those things. So much of the funding is cyclical and annual. I did mention things like the CMHC and the CCBHC grant. They've been coming out on fairly regular basis. Take a look at the past applications to get a sense of, is this a fit for us? I talk to clients a lot that say, um, we're not ready to respond to that. When I say, okay, the CCBHC is gonna come out in a month or two, they say, we're not prepared. And, and that's fine. If you're not prepared this year, is it time to start now getting prepared for next year? And that might be for the CMHC grant, which is probably coming out within you know, mid-year or something. Maybe now is the time to start saying, okay, the last three or four years, we've always said we're not prepared to commit the resources to apply. Maybe this is the year to commit those resources. Well, that, that's great. Uh, so Keith, thanks for sharing your insights. Where can uh, our clients or listeners go to inside NetSmart or to you to get further information if they'd like some? Well, we'd love them to go to uh, www.ntst.com, come out to the NetSmart website. They are certainly uh, able to submit a question there. We'll get to me or my counterpart in the West. If you're a client, please reach out to your client alignment executive, or you can reach out to me at K-B-O-U-S-H-E-E at N-T-S-T.com. All right. Thanks, Keith. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. We'll continue to produce more content you find engaging and informative. And uh, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.